Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Wes. Hey, Travis. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing great. We've got um, a question for the podcast today that I think not even arguably, it just is probably the favorite topic of this show. Oh, yeah, because it has to do with eschatology and what happens after death and resurrection. Yes. That's right. Good. And the very vivid picture that uh, I think we often like to to paint when we look at the New Testament and how it talks about that. So I'll go ahead and read the question. This is from Chris. On the new earth, after judgment, will we still have free will? If so, would there ever be a danger of rebelling again? Mm, That's a great question. And I I will say for those that aren't convinced about the the new heavens and new earth and the redemption of creation, uh, you can still listen to this episode. We, I, I don't think we'll get too far into the weeds on that. So somebody yeah. might even ask the question, like, will we have free will in heaven? Oh, I've heard and, that. Asked, and, yeah. and, 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 and that has been a question that's been asked to me as a minister for years. Yeah. Um, people want to know, because to Chris's point, if if we do have free will, that's a scary thing to people sometimes because they say, well, I mess up now. I have the choice now to obey or not obey, and right. sometimes I don't obey. So what happens if, when I'm with God for eternity, um, what happens then if I disobey, and can I still disobey? And if heaven is heaven, or if eternity is eternity, the way we, we typically think about it, will will there be any sin there? And we would assume there's not going to be sin there. So if there's not going to be sin there, how could I be there? And how could I be there if I can't? choose to sin. So all of those things uh, make for a very good question. Yeah, I think, you know, as I was just kind of doing some thinking on this topic, um, I, w- I went to, I thought about Second Peter, I uh, thought about Revelation, talking about the new heavens and new earth, mm-hmm. and giving it, when it gives us a picture, and again, it's, you know, as always comes up around this topic, it's like, it's, I think it's difficult for us to to read these verses about the picture of what heaven and, and, and the new heavens and new earth will look like, mm-hmm. because there is a, there is a vagueness to it. There sure. is a, um, some ambiguity, there. some ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. That, that requires, um, it's, it's like, a, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's like eternal interpretation. It's like on this side, mm-hmm. I, I, I've come to, you know, accept that it's going to be very hard and, and ultimately until we see it, until mm-hmm. we're there in it. Sure. Sure. Uh, impossible to tr- truly understand yeah. what it's going to look like. Yeah, um, I, I like to. I like the idea of like having a spiritual imagination yeah. where we can sort of imagine the possibilities of what it might be like. We're given some details, and I think we need to take those details seriously. Uh, but so much of it is left to our imagination, and I don't think that's such a bad thing. Sometimes no. people get frustrated by speculation, mm-hmm. and it's like, well. Yes, it, some of it is speculative, but so much of it is important to exercise, flex our imagination muscles to think based on what we know about God and based on what we know about eternity and the resurrection, what might that be like? Well, I think 
I, I like to think about having imagination about the future. It's like there's actually a humility in that. Oh, absolutely. Because we're, we're, we tend to want to have this assurance of, of even if it's vague, mm-hmm. of what heaven will be. This, sure. you know, this um, what kind of existence we'll be living. But to to actually read the text and, and let your imagination run wild mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. It's like there's a humility in that. It's like sure. I'm not saying I'm right. Sure. Yeah. I'm probably wrong. Right. In my imagination, but. If I'm reading the text in good faith and let my imagination yeah. go, it's like yeah. that can give me a lot of hope. Right. And I think that's when we've had these conversations, that's the biggest benefit yes. that I get out of it yes. is that it it defines my hope. Yeah. It doesn't have to be an exact definition yeah. uh, to to get me through the day, sure. to get me to get me excited about the Christian walk. Who would tell that. their kids we're we're actually my family's preparing for a trip to Europe to Estonia? Hopefully, awesome. all four of us are going to get to go. That's the plan right now. That may change in, in a few weeks. I don't know. But um, hopefully this fall, that's the plan, is for all of us to go to Estonia. I've been there. I, I know what it's like in Tallinn, but my, my family hasn't been. So if I were to give them a few details and say, you know, here's, here's the few details that I'm going to give you on what it's going to be like, if they were to say, oh, well, what if we do this? And is that going to be there? How dare I say, no, stop. You'll know when you know. You'll know when yeah. we get there. Don't imagine yeah. anything until you get there. You're you're probably picturing it wrong, so stop picturing it. No, I want them to be excited. I want them to be hopeful. I yeah. want them to imagine, oh, what might it be like? What might the people be like? What might it be like to be in a in a country that English isn't their first language? I want them to imagine those things and then when they actually experience it, their experience won't be diminished by no. what they hoped for, their yeah. their experience will actually be heightened by what they, they hoped for, that it was like, oh, this is even better than I imagined. Well, and how much, that, that's such a good point, and how much truer is that going to be Absolutely, absolutely. Because I, I actually think, and, I, and I, I could be wrong, but I think when I have been resistant to like have a picture in my head, mm-hmm. and I'm just sort of like, well, I, I won't know what it's going to look like, I'm really know what to expect when i've done that i think oftentimes it's because i'm afraid mm-hmm. i'm sure. afraid it's like it's not going to live up to yeah what right. heaven's supposed to right. be it's like, well, that, yes. that sort of contradicts the definition Absolutely. Of, of eternity with in yes. the presence of god yes so so to that point let's think about some of the things that peter says and some of the things that revelation says and and there, there is one thing absolutely for certain that there will be no sin there. There will be no rebellion there. There will be no unclean thing there. Peter says that righteousness, righteousness dwells, there. dwells there. So yeah. in the new heavens and new earth, righteousness will dwell. There's a lot I don't know about what the world will be like after it's redeemed, but I do know that there will be no, nothing unclean, nothing wicked, nothing evil. And and so that that isn't a very interesting question if i have this tendency to choose evil either we think the possibilities are uh, there there must be evil because surely i will still mess up and choose that or i won't be able to choose anymore hmm. and and i think that's a false dichotomy I don't think that those are our only two options. And and we're going to explore why I say that here in just a second. But let's acknowledge something about free will. That free will itself is an incredibly difficult subject. It's been debated not just in theology and not just in Christian theology, but in philosophy for a very long time. And so much uh, thought has gone into this. 
are things predetermined? Are they predetermined by the universe, by uh, even secular people believe in a determinationism, a determinism, uh, whatever that word is, um, that they believe that things are predetermined, right. that we're just dominoes that are falling. And the domino that gets hit by another domino and then falls into the next domino, it may think that it's choosing to fall over into the next domino, but really it's just an illusion of, of choice. And that's what a lot of secular people believe that we have an illusion of choice and that that choice isn't reality. I, I reject that idea. I, I reject that idea, not just from a creation standpoint, but from a theological standpoint, I believe God actually does give us a choice on whether or not we will obey, whether or not we will believe, whether or not we will be faithful. If not, very little of scripture actually makes sense. So we can get lost in the weeds on philosophy and like, well, if God knows ahead of time that we're going to choose this thing, then, well, I don't think that, I, I don't think God's foreknowledge about things and the choices that we make, I don't think that that, I don't think God is surprised. I think he actually knows what choice I'm going to make, but it's still me that's making that choice. And it's like if I have watched a movie multiple times, if I've seen a movie a dozen times, then I know what choice those characters are going to make. Now, I actually had no bearing on whether or not they made those choices. Right. Obviously, the director did. I don't want the listener to get lost in my metaphor. But I, as the observer, I have a foreknowledge of what they're going to do, but I didn't force them to do that. Mm -hmm. My foreknowledge is not forcing them to make a certain choice. And in, In fact, sometimes the character will make a choice, and I've seen this movie, so I know what they're going to do, and it's not the choice I want them to make. I'll beg with them and plead with them, please don't go up there. Don't go in there. The bad guy's in there. Don't do that. And and I know that they're going to ignore my pleading and do what they want to do. And, and I think that's the position God is in. Yeah. God knows what choices we're going to make. And he may not even want us to make those choices, but he knows that we will. He knows that we will choose to do what is sinful and wrong. His foreknowledge of my choices doesn't change the fact that I actually made those choices in reality. Yeah, two, two thoughts about what you just said. Number one, I think on the, like, the, the, on the negative side of well, if God knows what we're going to do and lets us do it and knows it's going to turn out bad, then isn't he responsible? It's like, well, how about on the positive side of that, how about the fact that all things work together for the good of those Mm -hmm. who love him? How about the fact that, like, personally, sin that I've had in my life Mm -hmm. has led to something good? Right, right, yeah. It's like... Yeah, he can redeem these bad situations, yeah. Yeah. So do I take credit for that? Well, good for me for (laughs) sinning. It's like... No, it's like, yeah, God redeems. Yeah, God puts people yeah. in my life. God puts situations in my life that reveal that sin mm-hmm. to me. And and then I hopefully come out better and, and mm-hmm. stronger out of that. Yeah, It's like, well, I can't take credit for that. Mm-hmm. So God's doing... If, if, if you want to insist on the negative end of that, which, again, I, I think you did a good job of dispelling, but you, you have to take the positive with that, too, mm-hmm. that... God is also for those that love Him. Mm-hmm. He's working. F- yeah, he's working no doubt. through your sin. And I also think when we talk about free will this way, about like to 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 think about well, we have free will in heaven, and could that lead to sin? Again, I think it's such a good question. But as you were talking, I thought about this. 
why is free will always like the decision to choose bad? Like that's 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 the question. Aren't we kind of thinking about it still, and we're insisting, you know, if if we're if we're if we're uh, if we're if we're negative about this in in the afterlife, mm-hmm. then are we kind of insisting the same way Adam and Eve insisted with free with free will? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why can't I eat the fruit? Why? Mm-hmm. Why can't I do something that God didn't mm-hmm. say? It's like, mm-hmm. who's to say that? Like, like we're looking at it in such binary terms, and mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's just, God has to give me the option to 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 do bad. It's right. like, well, and again, I think we'll get into this, but the definition that Peter mm-hmm. and John give us about the afterlife is that well, there won't be any bad to choose. Yeah. Yeah. Righteousness dwells and there. And that desire, and this is really where I want to get to. I'm so glad you segued to that, because that desire to do what is evil, that desire to do what is not pleasing to God, that will be gone. Yeah. And the question is, don't we want that? And yeah. if we don't want that, if we don't want our heart so transformed by the Spirit of God, by this transformation that has already begun in us, we're already being transformed into people who do not will to sin. Yeah. So I believe that in the resurrection, in eternity, we will have free will, but we won't have the will to sin. Like if I had to sum it up in what I believe, that's what I believe, that that's we will have free will, but we won't have the will to sin. Let me give another metaphor before we jump in. I, I want to get to Romans 7, maybe after the break, but but here, here's the metaphor that I want us to think about, and that's marriage. That in marriage, I think Tim Keller often says that it is the nature of love to bind itself on someone else. That it is, it is the nature of love to limit itself. To, to, we, we even use metaphors. Lovers have used these metaphors for so long in songs and poems that we want to be bound to the other person and throw, we say, throw away the key. And, and that's what marriage is. Marriage is locking yourself together with someone and throwing away the key. It's right. burning the boats. It's saying, I'm not going back. And so when I get up every morning, I don't decide every day, okay, today, am I going to be faithful to my wife? Today, am I going to walk away from my marriage? No. I'm not constantly making that decision over and over and over again. I made that decision once. I don't have to make it again. So I made the decision to marry her, and from now on, for the rest of my life, that decision has already been made. So my decisions are, in a sense, I guess, predetermined, but not because of some outside force. They're predetermined based on the choice that I made. I chose to be married to Holly, and based on that decision, the rest of my choices, to a degree, are predetermined. And I think it's healthy and good for us to think about marriage that way. How awful would it be to wake up and say, okay, today I'm going to decide again whether or not to be married. No, I've already made that decision. And it's the same with following Jesus. When I was baptized into Christ, I was binding myself to him, allowing him to bind himself to me and throwing away the key. So I don't have to get up this morning and say, hmm, am I going to follow Jesus today? Am I going to do what's right today? Well, the problem with that metaphor is that there is something inside of us that is not right still. Right. Because you, e- still, you want that open door. Yes. Yeah. And, and 
as followers of Jesus, we should want that to change. Like, I, I don't want any part of me yeah. to want a way out of my marriage. I don't want to want an escape door. I don't want to want another path. And as a follower of Jesus, I don't want to want a, a path of rebellion. There are days when I want a path of rebellion. There are days where I want to do what is wrong. But I hate that part of me. I want that, that option gone. I want to limit myself. I want to be limited to only doing what is good. Now, you say, well, isn't that meaning that free will is taken away? No, it means I've chosen Jesus. I have freely chosen Jesus. And because I've freely chosen him, I want him to transform me so that I no longer will to sin. And already he's beginning that transformation in us so that hopefully what we really want to do what we really want to do is do what is right and good. Now, there's times where we actually do what we don't want to do. Yep. But but if we're if we're saying I really want to sin, I'm just kind of afraid that I'm going to get struck dead if I do. That's not the heart of a disciple. The heart of a disciple is one that says I don't want to do what is evil. In fact, I think that's the the motivation behind the question itself yeah. that Chris asked is. In, in eternity, I don't want to mess up. Right. Will I still don't mess up? Repeat this cycle again. Right. Yeah. And, and the answer is your heart's desire that you don't want to disappoint and fail your God, your heart's desire will be granted to you that you will never again disappoint him. You will never again fail to be the person that you want to be because the weakness of your flesh has been redeemed. You have been transformed by the Spirit into someone who who is what you actually want to be. It's actually not the taking away of free will. It's actually the granting of our deepest desire. I want to be faithful to my God. And because of Jesus, I will be in eternity faithful without any mistakes. Well, that, you know, again, the thing to remember is the the if when we're talking about having a physical body in the mm-hmm. afterlife, it's like well we're talking about having a physical body in the same way that Jesus had a physical body. Yes, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Yes, but it's not flesh in the sense that we experience flesh now, where we yes. do have. Even, it's not carnal, right? Yes, material, we, yes, yeah. but carnal, no. But not in that sense where we we are torn, like you were referencing Paul saying. Yes, you know I I I I don't do what I want to do, and yes. I and I do the things that I that I don't want to do. Um, it, it's not flesh in that sense. It's yes. it's the uh, tr- it's the transcended flesh yes. that Jesus yes. showcased. And again, you know, th- this is absolutely speculation. But as we're talking about this, I'm thinking that in some sense, when you ask, what's the point? What's what's why, why all of this? Why you know? When we get back to like that age old question that many people ask, you know. Why all the pain and suffering mm. in human existence since the garden? Mm-hmm. And I have to think it's something like, so we could figure this out. Mm. So we could have an appreciation for God's presence in the way that you were just talking about. Like, I don't want to choose sin. I don't want to choose rebellion. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to be something that Adam and Eve had when they were you know, being mm-hmm. tempted by, mm-hmm. by the snake in the garden. Well, hopefully the people of God that that 
join him in the afterlife, that's, we've learned that. Mm-hmm. So even in that free will, mm-hmm. with sin not present anymore and, and, mm-hmm. and a new flesh has taken on, mm-hmm. we've learned... The, I, I, that's that's my hopeful yes. expectation. Is yes. I think we'll have learned the lesson. Yes. We will have fully experienced what it is yes. to be separated from God. Mm-hmm. And now that we know what it is to be eternally joined with God, there's yeah. there's yeah. not going to be a desire in our hearts to, 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 to yeah. step away from that. Absolutely. And in the same way that I never want to... I never want to accidentally get upset and say something that's going to hurt my wife's feelings. Do I sometimes do that? Sure, I do. I don't want to. Right. I don't I don't will that. Right. I will to always please her. I, I will to always have a harmonious, joyful, loving relationship. I fall short of that. But if I if I really got what I wanted, and so when we talk about free will, isn't that what we mean? Like, isn't the best version of free will I get what I really want? And that's what we'll have in the resurrection. We'll, we'll get to that in Romans 7 here in just a second. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com audible. That's radicallychristian.com audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, we've sort of danced around Romans 7 quite a bit. So let's, um, n- not that we believe in dancing, but uh, Romans <laughs> chapter 7 is where we'll, we'll kind of jump in because I think this isn't what Paul is necessarily talking about in some ways, but in some ways it is because in chapter 8, he'll, he'll, move, into, he'll move into the idea of the, the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in the believer. And what I believe is I believe in this the fancy term is inaugurated eschatology, that I believe that the age to come, eternity, has already begun. Mm -hmm. That from the moment Jesus rose from the dead and the Spirit went out and came into the hearts of believers when they were baptized into Jesus, that, that these people are new creation. Paul says that any of you who are in Christ are new creatures, new creation. So, the resurrection, eternity, has already begun in us. Now, we're still in the flesh, and so we still struggle. But that process of what is the second age, the next age going to be like, that's already begun in us. And so anytime we talk about the work of the Spirit, we're talking about how the Spirit is bringing eternity into the present, that even in the present we're experiencing eternity. Now, Paul in Romans 7, I think... He's not talking, I don't believe, about his current struggle with sin, even though there's probably application to that. He's talking about his his struggle with trying to keep the law, as a human being trying to keep the law. And, and he explains, I wanted to keep the law. I loved the law. I wanted to do what the law told me to do. He says in Romans 7 verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. How does the New Living Translation put that in verse 9? That's a good question. In verse 9. Romans 7, 9. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. Okay. So there's this idea that he says, now the law is good, 
But it had this effect on people in that when God said, don't do this, like he uses coveting as an example, that there was something in us, sin, that got enlivened. Mm -hmm. It came alive. It became awake inside of us and caused us to sin. Now, your question earlier, like why all of this pain and suffering? The answer in, in one sense is that there is still sin in us. Yeah. That that Jesus dying for our sins is only part of the equation. Having our sins washed away so that we're not guilty anymore, being forgiven, that's only part of the equation. There's also the part of the equation that says, yeah, but what about my ongoing desire to sin? What about the fact that I, I want to do what is good, but then I that there's this other part of me? And Paul says, it's actually not me. It's actually sin that dwells in me, that mm. needs to be taken out of me. So it isn't just that I need to be cleansed and forgiven. I also need to have sin, the, the sin part of me, the fleshly part of me, changed. He says, verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that, which is good, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So the commandment highlighted, even though it, it one of the effects of it was that it, it brought to life this sin within the, the, the Jewish people like Paul, it brought that to life in them, and it brought death to them. Not the law, but the sin brought death to them. But the sin showed sin to be—sorry, the law showed sin to be sinful. It highlighted that. It brought it out. It exposed that. But it also brought death because sin brought death. He says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul says, from the moment I first sinned, now I continue to do things that I don't want to do. Now, I don't believe in the Calvinistic idea of total depravity, that, that we are totally depraved and incapable of doing anything good. I, I reject that idea. I don't think scripture I, I don't think scripture affirms that. But there is a sense in which <laughs> that if a person chooses to commit a crime, for instance, and because of that crime they go to prison, do they still have free will? Yes. Can they be everything they want to be now? No, right. because now their their previous choice of sin has limited their future choices and their, their choice of crime, I should say. Their choice of crime has limited their future choices. The same is true in a way when, when it comes to sin, that because we've chosen to sin, now our future choices are limited. And now there is a part of us that is is dead and is in need of resurrection and redemption. And so Paul says, in this state of, of brokenness, I so often did what I didn't want to do. 
again, the question isn't <laughs> in the resurrection, will I accidentally sin? The question is, the question is, I don't, I don't want to sin. I, I want to become the person that doesn't sin. I would like to be that person right now. Yeah. And, and the problem is that right now, I don't really have, again, I don't want to say it so strongly. I don't want to say we don't have free will, but there is a sense in which our free will, I think it'd be fair to put it like this. Our free will is limited now and in, in eternity, it won't be. Mm, so that's interesting. it's actually the opposite of what we're kind of afraid. Well, I, maybe I won't have free will in eternity. It's actually that right now your free will is limited because I would like to be a perfect person and can't. Right. So it's right now that my free will is limited and in eternity I can fully I can fully express, I can fully become the person I want to be, the perfect person I want to be that I can't right now because of the brokenness in my flesh. Well, I, you know, as we as we read through Romans 7, uh, this Romans 7 has been coming up a lot in different Bible studies and Interesting. podcasts I've been listening to. So I've had quite a lot of time to think about this. And one of the things it makes me think of is I'm kind of imagining Paul as like a child. Mm when he discovers covetousness, you know, yeah, he discovers yeah. the law and right. then it awakens something within him. Because he would have been a child when he first when heard he that commandment, yeah. yeah, in a literal way. And so I'm, I'm kind of, and, and it takes me back to like, well, yeah, a lot of the sins of my life were first discovered not out of, it, it was out of curiosity, out sure. of naivete. Sure, sure. Now, as I am more familiar with sin mm -hmm. and its consequences, the, the naivete is not, not there near as much. There sure. might be things I'm naive about. I, that sure. is certain. But um, sin then becomes more about pride. Mm. It's like, oh, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to hide thinking that so that I can do it. Mm -hmm. I think I can get away with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimate pride. We were talking last night in a Bible study about how I, I really think pride is kind of the root of sin. That yeah. it's, yeah. you know, we, we get that idea in scripture that it's, it's at at the end of the day, it's that I can get away with it. I can mm -hmm. twist reality. Mm -hmm. I can warp what's good, and I'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, uh, talk about taking the place of God. But then you fast forward to the resurrection. It's like, well, we won't be naive. Mm -hmm. Our eyes will be open mm -hmm. to the to the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I I think pride will be something that is non-existent. Mm -hmm. How how. <laughs> How could we be prideful in the presence of God? Absolutely. In the literal, yeah. Not he's face there. To face. Yeah, yeah. The face-to-face -face presence of yeah. God. Yeah. So the motivation for sin, the yeah. the cause of sin, yep. won't even be present. Yeah, absolutely. He goes on, verse eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Mm -hmm. So that really, oh, that's such a powerful thing. And then, of course, he goes on and says, who's wretched man that I am? This is verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then the answer is, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Then he goes on in chapter 8 to talk about how the, the Spirit will bring about the total redemption of creation, but even now is crying out in our hearts, 
Abba, Father, and he's interceding with these groans that are too deep for words. He is helping us become, even in the present, the person we actually want to be. So again, I, I would ask anybody that, that's afraid that our free will will be limited in eternity to think about it in exactly the opposite way, that actually, if you desire to be pleasing to God, and there won't be anybody experiencing eternal life who doesn't want to please God. And if that's your desire, you will become exactly who you want to be. Your greatest, deepest heart's desire to please God will be fulfilled in the resurrection. And whatever there is in us that still desires sin, that part of us will be will will we'll die there it will be no more that's that that transformation i think that paul describes in first corinthians 15 he says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god that's that's what we are right now that's that weakness paul says i have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out our flesh both in the sense that we we get sick and we die so like in a very literal mortal sense we are weak, but in a moral sense, we are weak. I, I am not the good person I want to be. I am not the righteous person I want to be. I'm not the obedient person I want to be. But in the resurrection, I will be powerful enough to be the good, righteous, right-living, obedient person that I want to be even right now. Well, I think uh, that poses an interesting question. How is it that we think about ourselves? You know, you've mentioned the Calvinistic idea that we're totally mm. depraved. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, and I, I would assume that the, the, the implication there is that, well, we're totally depraved, but only by the power of Christ are we right. able to do good. Yeah, they believe in irresistible grace, that if God right. chose you, of course, you can't choose God, but if it's God chose you, yeah, right. if you're one of the elect, then he chooses you, and then he begins to transform you right. by his grace and power, but it's irresistible. You have no choice in the matter. But that poses an interesting question when, we, when we're talking about I'm thinking of, and I, I couldn't think of the passage off the top of my head, but I was thinking about when it talks about the world burning up mm -hmm. and that it's a fire that will reveal yeah it's a revealing fire it's the same text in in, in second peter in second that peter. that okay. this that the earth will be exposed yeah yeah and our works will be exposed and, yeah. and what's sinful and evil that's going to burn off yeah i have i have a feeling we we're afraid of that because we're afraid well what if there's nothing left mm. and it's that kind of you know you look around the world you look at yourself and 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 I understand it might seem warranted to think, you know, what if that's all I am? What if I'm all I am is the depravity mm. and the selfishness and the pride and the uh, and the rebelling against God? But you know, as as followers of Jesus, it's like we you don't have to take. I don't think you have to take credit for like, well, I'm great to recognize like, no, I I'm capable of good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm capable of responsibility. Yeah. I'm capable of self sacrifice. Yeah. Again, like we're talking about, yeah. I don't do it all the time. Yeah, I struggle with it. I, yeah. I'm struggle. I'm contending with my flesh. But I like this uh, the idea you mentioned of like sin is something that has to be extracted from mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. That it's it's if we're if we're contending with it, mm -hmm. then it's something that God will will remove. But mm -hmm. there'll still be plenty of you and me left. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that 
sin is not us. Right. I, at least it shouldn't be. Right. I, I think you can become that, but but it, it is one, something yeah. that I have done. But Paul talks about it. He says, it's not me, but it's sin that's within me. And I don't want it in me. I want it taken out of me. And I, and I do think where the Calvinist, I, where I appreciate the Calvinistic doctrine, even though I can't go where they go, I do appreciate the fact that they give credit to God for yeah. the sanctification. They give credit to God for the obedience. Because if I do any good, it is not me who does it. It's God. It's the power of the Spirit in me that does it. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit. That, But I have to choose to right. open myself up to the work of the Spirit. I have to choose to be filled with the Spirit. I have to choose to be a follower of Jesus. But when I do, it's like... I chose to be married to Holly, but the good things that she brings into my life are both because I chose her in my life and because she is actively doing right. those good things in my life. It's a this, symbiotic uh, relationship. Absolutely. I have to open myself up and receive right. what the Spirit wants to give me, but it's the Spirit who gets the credit for those good things. Yeah. I don't go home and say, well... I have clean dishes and I have clean clothes and there's dinner on the table. It's because I chose a good wife and I'm so smart because I chose you. No, I don't get any credit. She does because she did those good things for me. The spirit does these good things for us. We don't get any credit or a pat on the back because we chose the spirit or we chose Jesus, but we do have to really, I think, emphasize that when somebody says, oh, well, you didn't choose that at all. Because that's going too far. Jesus said, behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. And then I, that also makes me think of when Cain is resentful about the way his sacrifice was received sure. as opposed to Abel's. God says, sin is crouching at yes. your door. It and gives you this, must master it. And yeah. it gives us imagery of like, it's, an, it's, a, it's a vicious animal right. that's waiting to devour him. Absolutely. But it's like, but he's saying you, you can choose it. That's right. That's right. So and it's reflexively true that absolutely. It's like you can choose you can choose sin knocking at your door or absolutely. you can choose yeah Jesus is yes. also knocking. Yes. And and really it does become I I've, I've really adopted the phrase here recently you are what you repeat. Mm. And and when you repeat walking by the spirit, when you repeat discipleship, when you repeat spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, then you become more and more what the spirit wants you to be. When you repeat sin, you sin corrupts. It corrupts the mind. It corrupts the body. It corrupts the soul. And when you repeat sinful things over and over and over again, when you continue to choose that path, then you become ruled by it. You become enslaved to it. And, and your, your choices become more and more and more limited. The scary thing is, Hebrews says that you can get to the point where it is impossible to bring you to repentance. Not like, it's uh, important. One. Yeah. yeah. Well, the same kind of an idea, but yeah, the Hebrew writer is warning these, these Christians that if you go so far down this road, you can get to a point, not to a point where it's impossible for you to be forgiven, but it's impossible for you to repent mm. because you don't want to do what is right and good. Even if you see it, you don't really want to do what is right and good because you have been so corrupted by the deceitfulness of sin. And so that's why we have to be so very careful here. Yes, you get to choose Jesus or sin, but it's not as if I can just keep choosing sin, 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 and then say, hey, I can walk away anytime I want to. 
because there comes a point where you won't want to anymore. Your desire to do what is right and good will become so desensitized. You will become so enslaved by it. You won't want what is good. And so we have to realize that the opposite is true, that the sanctification process is changing us. I I love, I want to, one last passage before we close, Philippians 2. I would love for you to read it in the New Living Translation Hmm. because I looked it up ahead of time, but Philippians 2, 12 and 13, what does that say in yours? Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Mm, that's so good. Mine says, I'll read the whole thing, but yeah. it says, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You said, show the results of your salvation. I think that actually is the meaning there. Show the results, work it out, right. become the person that you're being saved to be. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that's everything we've been talking about. Yeah. The, the choice that you have to work out, like you have to work to become the person that God is saving you to be, but it's God who's working in you. And I love the way he says, to will and to work or desire and the power that he is giving you the desire to do it and the power to do it. He's giving you the will to do it and the, and the, uh, to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so in the resurrection, when our dead bodies are resurrected and transformed, it'll be the final act of that transformation to will and work for his good pleasure. That in eternity, yes, I'm sorry to tell you if you don't like working, that yes, we will work in eternity. We'll have a job to do. I don't know what that'll be, but we'll work and we will will to work and we will will to do what is pleasing to God. We will desire to do what is right. So yes, I believe in the resurrection, we will have free will, but I don't believe that we will will to sin. Well, I got to say, I've, I've definitely experienced that. Verse 13, God is working in you, giving you the desire. Yes. Uh, I had a friend recently, uh, we were talking about this idea, and he, he I never really thought about it in those terms before, that God can give and take away desires, mm. that if you're committed to him, he, he will. He will. I mean, yeah. just, just watch and wait for him. Yes. Keep contending, keep you know yeah. praying, keep watching yourself yeah. and... But he will, he will, you know, he'll change your mind about things. Yes, yeah. And, you know, I'd be remiss if on this subject, one thing I keep coming back to is, well, in the afterlife, whatever that looks like, the adversary's locked away. Yeah. Well, he's destroyed. He's yeah. destroyed. More than walked away. He's, he's, he's yeah. destroyed in the lake of fire. So, so there's no, there's no roaring, you know, there's no yeah. walking the earth like a roaring lion, Absolutely. you know, seeing who he might devour. Yep. So whatever that looks like and whatever um, options we have available to us, we're not contending with him anymore. Yes. It's just us and, yep. and God. All Every enemy is destroyed. Yeah. Lord, come quickly. Mm. Amen to that. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.